I want to begin with a word today, and that word is resurrection, or uh, in this case, we're going to be talking about being raised to life. And of course, this sermon is going to be about being raised to life. We're going to talk about the character of Peter. But I, I have a confession for you, which is that I, when I asked all of you to do these surveys where you um, put down what your favorite sermon series was and what songs you wanted to sing and all that other stuff, I did the survey for what my favorite stuff was, but I didn't actually do a really good, great job at that point of reflecting on the past year and making changes to go forward. I just kind of said, hey, this is the stuff I like, this is the stuff the congregation like, let's go with that. Um, but in looking back critically, because I don't know if you knew this, but uh, Lent is an important season because it's the first season that I was a part of at this church. So I started at the beginning of Lent. So looking back, now I've gone through two Lents. Um, I looked back and I said, hey, what have I preached on most of the time? And, and I looked at all the sermons, and then I pulled out all the sermons that I didn't preach, that somebody else preached, and I pulled out all the sermons that were like special events, like Christmas, Easter, that stuff. And what I was left with, a visitor Sunday, what I was left with was a collection of sermons where uh, basically 90-something percent of them had the same message which is crazy, right? It's like, it was like 80, 80 percent, because I haven't preached that many. It's only been like 40 or something. But 80-something percent of them were about dying to yourself, which I think is one of the most important things for the Western church to hear. When we, we talked about Christian formation, we didn't even make it past the first verse of the passage that we were in in Colossians because it talked about suffering and dying to yourself, and we had a lot to say about it. And I realized that, man, as important as that is, I probably overcorrected to an extent. I probably uh, didn't preach enough about what I consider to be kind of the good news half of the gospel. Because when, when it comes to dying yourself, that's a good thing. You want to die to yourself. But you don't want to die to yourself and then just be dead. You want to die to yourself and be raised to something better. And I realized I, I've provided a lot of, hey, Jesus says that you've got to die to yourself. And I've not provided a lot of why. Why that's important. So for the next seven weeks, we're going to be talking about what it means to these characters on the other side of dying to themselves and then being raised to a new life, what, what it is like to live as a member of the body of Christ. Not just as Christ in us for in Colossians uh, 2 or 1, the end of Colossians 1, like we talked about in Christian formation, not just Christ living in us, but living in Christ, living as a part of the body of Christ. So I want to read first uh, this passage from John 1. I picked it because it happens right after Easter. So it's one of the times that, that Jesus appears to the disciples after Easter. And we could have a whole series about um, how Jesus seems to be a little different after he's been resurrected. Even Jesus, sinless Jesus, is a little different after he's been resurrected. But I want to talk about what happens to Peter. He's one of the most important characters in the Bible and my favorite. So I'm going to try not to talk, to him about, talk about him too much. But I've got to turn on my clicker here. And it's going to take a second to sync. So can we go to the next slide real quick? Thank you. I'm going to read this passage for you. It's in the NLT. It's what I've been tending to preach from recently. It comes from John 1, verses 15, 16, and 17. It says, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, that's Peter, Simon, son of John, or son of Jonah, do you, believe, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Next one. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt 
had Jesus asked the question of time, he said, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And then Jesus goes on. But to understand this, we need to know who Peter is. And to do that, I want to tell you a story from my own life. Um, Happened when I was 16 years old. Who here has ever had a 16-year-old in their house? At some point, amen? How many of you are not yet 16 but will be soon? Yeah, you three up there. Yeah, okay. Y'all are 26. Stop talking. Um, 16-year-olds are great, but 16-year-olds are not the most safe people in the world. We have not gotten past that point where our brains think that we are not totally, uh, like, invincible, which is why it's crazy that we let 16-year-olds drive cars. It's insane. They're giant death machines, a ton of metal hurtling down the road at 55 miles an hour, and that's if they're not speeding. It's terrifying that we let 16-year-olds drive. And my parents worked a lot when I was growing up, and so um, one of the things, I I was allowed to drive right when I turned 16. In fact, my dad helped me buy my first car. It was a Ford Focus, Um, and it was like cars should be. You know, it had some kinks to it. It was used, you know what I mean? Um, And, uh, but it was a nice car. It was a a fine car. But um, this Ford Focus that I, that we bought, they had done something weird to it. It, it, it. it didn't have a title, and it might have been stolen at some point. Anyway, the, the long story, we bought it at like an auto barn, which is in like the bad part of Evanston. Um, but it was a great deal. But one of the weird kinks about it is that it didn't have anti-lock brakes. And like I said, my, my folks got me that car. We, we, we co-bought that car, actually, money I'd saved up, um, right about uh, like a month or two after I turned 16 years old. And uh, part of the problem was that I had never really driven with a car in the snow without ABS. So I learned very quickly how to do that because we got it in February. So I had to, like, the first time I took the car out, it was snowing. I was sliding through stoplights. It was a mess. But I made it a long time, a whole eight months before I got into my first car accident. And on that date, um, I had become so comfortable driving in the dry times, because it was about November, I'd become so comfortable driving in dry times that I really felt like I was in control of my car. It had a tight steering column, the Ford Focus. And so it really felt like you were driving a race car, and sometimes I acted like I was driving a race car, and it was really not a good thing. Um, But in this particular case, it was a November um, evening. I I had just come back from, I don't remember what, but I had to drive from school home to get my volleyball stuff and come back for volleyball tryouts. You know, you don't want to be late for tryouts, right? Like, like you could be late for practice, but if you're late for tryouts, it looks really bad. And so um, I was really kind of booking at home, and it, had, it was raining. And there's a weird intersection in Evanston um, that goes under a viaduct, and it's like three... Not, since this, they've totally eliminated the problem they had, but at that time, it was downhill, and you, you went underneath this bridge, and in the far light right lane was always a green light. You could always go straight through the intersection because there was nobody who could affect you in that way. You couldn't turn left there. and so, But you could also turn left from the far right lane. This is just a weird thing. They've changed it since then. So... Every once in a while, you'd come up over the top of that hill and there'd be a car sitting there to turn left at a red light. And so you'd have to stop and sit behind that car, even though there's a green light. 
And on this particular day, it was raining a lot. The sewers had overflowed, and there was sewage on the ground. If you don't know anything about sewer, sewers, when they overflow, when they overflow after a long time of not having a lot of rain, and there's a lot of oil that's part of that sewage, and so it makes it really hard to stop. So I came over that hill, and one of my friends was in a car next to me. Actually, it was my friend's dad. And I kind of had to get around him to get into that right lane to go straight. As I came over the top of the ridge, I hit the brakes, and nothing happened at all. Like my brakes had been cut. I was going downhill. I was going 35 miles an hour. I wasn't that. I was only speeding five miles an hour, but um, going 35 miles an hour, and I slid. Um, and I, so a couple things went through my head. You know, I tried to pump the brakes. That didn't work. Had I had ABS, maybe I would have been okay. But I remember in that moment, I actually tried to swerve off of the road. I was okay crashing into the viaduct. I just didn't want to hit those other cars. I was like, it's okay. I don't know why I did that. Because when I tried to swerve off the road, I hit the curb and I bounced back. And I slammed into the back of the two cars that were both parked, waiting to turn left. Totaled my car, just about. And there was a baby in one of those cars, thankfully unharmed. But I got out of my car, out the window, because that was the way I could get out. The airbags didn't go off. Once again, I had kind of a unique car. Um, I remember looking at my car and going, I can't drive this home. <laughs> First thought, not like, you know, I can't drive this home. And, and so I, I pull out my cell phone, which, thank God for the invention of the cell phone, and I, and I went up to the people, you know, you're not supposed to say I'm sorry after an accident because, like, then you'll be accused of admitting fault. They were stopped cars. I was like, I am so sorry. This is all my fault. <laughs> I knew my insurance premiums were going up. First thing we did was call 911 because it was a pretty serious accident. And the second thing I did was I looked at my phone and I saw on my contact list my dad and my mom. And I didn't hesitate. I called my mom. <laughs> and when my mom showed up, she w the, the other drivers very gracious. They said to her, by the way, j this is a side note, that my one of my good friend's dads who was in the car behind me, he didn't stop. He knew it was me. He didn't stop. Dr kept driving. Um, that sticks in my brain forever. If you ever see somebody get into a car accident who you know and they're 16 years old and there's no adult, stop. Stick my brain. But anyway, that's a side note. So I thought he maybe didn't know it was me. And then his son came to school the next day and said, I heard you got in a total huge wreck yesterday. And I was like, wow. Um, anyway. So I called my mom and the first thing that I said was, okay, I know we're going to have to tell dad about this, obviously. Um, I said, but I'm okay never driving again. It's fine. I'm okay not having a car. I'll figure it out, Mom. I'll just ride my bike in the snow. Right? Like, we'll figure it out. And my mom talked to the other drivers, and they said, you know, he's been very, it's hard conditions, and he's cooperative with the police, and, and he's been really mature through this experience. But I knew that I was not acting mature because I should never have gotten in that car in the first place. Got a ticket that day, said driving too fast for conditions, obviously. Um, but when I got home, the response of my dad was first, how are you going to get to school tomorrow? Call your friends, get them to give you a ride. 
And then he said, you know, you have tryouts and tomorrow night. Uh, mom should be home. You just take her car. That moment, I think, is what happens to a much lesser extent with Jesus and Peter. What we know about Peter, well, I'm just going to leave it here. I don't have the, all the bullet points. Peter is this character in biblical times who is very, very relatable. I think a lot of times, uh, you know, we used to have this thing growing up where, like, the girls in my youth group would be like, I really want to marry a Paul. You know what I mean? Like, I really want to marry, like, a Paul. He's, like, a good guy. And all the guys wanted to be Paul. Like, I just want to, I want to be Paul. You know, like, suffer for the Lord. The truth is, all of us are Peter. So good luck. We're all messy, like Peter was messy. He was called when he was a poor fisherman on a fishing boat. Jesus said, I'm going to teach you how to fish for people if you leave your job. And he's like, all right. That's the first thing. Like, he's just reckless. He does reckless things. You wouldn't follow Jesus if you... If you didn't, I mean, Paul, Paul had like this vision of the Lord in heaven and like all, Peter just like went with some like homeless rabbi, right? Like Peter is reckless. He's outspoken. He gave up his whole livelihood for Jesus, right? He's the first uh, one to name Jesus as the Messiah, okay? He jumps the gun a little bit. Jesus says, do you know who I am? He goes, oh yeah, you're the Messiah. And then he screws up immediately and Jesus says, all right, get behind me, Satan. You already don't understand this. He actually walks on water at one point. Sometimes we forget about that part of Peter's story. Um, he's the only one who takes up a sword to defend Jesus. And then there was this little part about him that I think that we focus on the most. Just like when we talk about Thomas, we always talk about his doubt. We don't talk about him like doing all the amazing things that Thomas does. He denies Jesus. It's a story that you've heard preached about, I imagine, a couple different times. Basically, it goes something like this. Jesus is at the Last Supper right before he's going to be crucified, and he says, hey, somebody, you guys are going to all run away from me. And Peter's like, not me, Jesus. And he goes, hey, by the time this night's over, you're going to have already denied me or denied that you know me three times. And then, boom, what happens? It always happens that way. He denies Jesus three times. And I think that he gets kind of harassed for this, Peter, in the biblical text. But I think it's kind of unfair. It's a little unfair because, I mean, Peter walks on water in a storm. He was willing to die for Jesus then. He was willing to die for Jesus when he took up arms against Roman soldiers. I mean, I want you to imagine this in modern times. There's a group of police officers who go to arrest a revolutionary who they believe might become a domestic terrorist, okay? Just imagine this with me. And one of the guys who's with him reaches out, grabs one of the police officer's guns, and shoots him in the leg. Peter should have got killed right then and there. If Jesus had not been able to kill the guy who Peter hurt, P Peter would have gotten killed right then and there. Okay, Peter has a lot of, I can't say that word here, He's got a lot of oomph, guts. So when Peter denies Jesus, we're left with what I think is our first takeaway this morning, which is people, even the best Christian people, even though most Christians are not the best people, to be honest. That's just my true, honest opinion. People, even the best Christian people, slip up. 
See, Peter had no problem taking up arms when Jesus was right next to him. But then at some point, Peter gets into this position where he's like, I don't know anymore about this. And he slips up. I want you to hear this morning that if you're in a place where you're like, hey, I used to be sold out for God. I used to go out into my community and like try to evangelize people. When I was in high school, I was really into this whole Jesus thing, right? I went to a Christian college or I wanted to go to a Christian college. I defended the faith when I first became a Christian or whatever. I used to be on fire when I was in youth group, but now I'm not. Know that every Christian goes through this these ebbs and flows. It's a natural part of the Christian walk to fall away at times, to slip up at times. And what Jesus demonstrates in his interaction with Peter in John 21 is not that he was surprised that Peter slipped up. It's, hey, I actually have a way to get back in community with you after you slip up. It's not the fact that you slip up. It's what you do with it later. In my case, it wasn't the fact that I was driving too fast for conditions. It was the fact that I was willing to say, I'll never drive again because I realized the severity of what I've done. There was a little baby in that car. And if I had not hit the curb at the exact angle that I did, I would have plowed into the back of that car and I don't know what would have happened to that baby because the only reason that they weren't really harmed was because I wedged myself in between the two cars, which I could not have done from the angle unless I had hit the curb. So I believe as much as I believe anything, that there was an angel in the back of my head. And my actions had consequences. My flippancy had consequences. It was a mistake, but there was consequences. And that angel in the back of my head said, how about you try to drive off the road like an idiot right here? And the result was that nobody got hurt, except for my Ford Focus, which they did fix. I don't know how, but they did. See, with Peter... He was all in. So all in that he could walk on water. So all in that he would die for Jesus. So all in that in just a couple minutes he's going to go preach a sermon in front of people. He's going to be whipped and beaten and all these bad things because of not denying Christ. But he still slipped up. Because even the best people, they slip up sometimes. And so Jesus takes him aside and he says, Do you love me more than these? which is a really interesting question because I have to ask myself, the the, the next two times that Jesus says, do you love me, he just says, do you love me? But the first time that he asked him, he says, do you love me more than these? And a lot of people, I think, take that to mean, okay, Peter was with some folks, so do you love me more than the people that you're with now? And I think that that's a fair interpretation. You could take it down that road. But that was not the only thing that Peter was in the presence of. Peter was also in the presence of a fishing boat. Stay with me. And where was Peter when Jesus called him in the first place? By a fishing boat. See, when Peter screwed up, I imagine Peter to a much greater degree than getting into a car accident. Don't hear me trying to say that we're the same. He goes, what I have done is irreconcilable. And so I'm just going to go back to how I was before I knew Jesus. I'm going to go get back in my fishing boat. I'm going to go catch some fish. Because at the end of the day, if I screw up catching fish, I go hungry for a night. But nobody dies. He runs away from his problems back to what he knows. And it's what we all do. When the going gets tough, people, 
they don't just like quit and just give up on life. They quit and go back to what they know. I don't know how many times during seminary when finances got tight for Jess and I, I asked the question, do you think I should go back and ask Sears if the, my job is still open and maybe try to get my job back, right? When it gets tough, you go back to what you know. And so Jesus says, do you love me more than the life that you had before me that you'll now have after me? Do you love me more than these, these fish, these boats, these fishermen? And Peter says, yes, of course I do. And he says, oh, yeah, 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 but do you really love me? The second time, I wonder, because the question changes a little bit, if Peter didn't really see it as like a weird thing. Okay, do you love me more than these? Yes, okay, but do you love me, love me? And, and he goes, yeah, yeah, of course I, I do. And the first time he says, okay, then feed my lambs. And the second time he says, okay, then tend my sheep. And we can, well, we can preach a whole sermon on how those are different things. But basically the way that I look at it is when he says feed my lambs, he's saying, hey, go out and evangelize, right? Those who are young in the faith, lambs, not sheep, but people who don't know yet, me. Go out and, and tell them about me. And then the second time he goes, okay, now lead the people that, that are mature in their faith, sheep. And then he asks them for the third See, I think Jesus at any point could have, could have, instead of asking these questions, just could have read, read in the riot act and just been like, you know, this is what my dad, he didn't do that. I thought that this was going to happen when he found out that I crashed my car. When, he, when we found out I crashed my car, he just wanted to know if anybody was hurt because he's a good guy. But I thought I was going to get this. You know you shouldn't have been and you know the way that this and you know what it's like when, and then you know, and you're the, this is a car. Do you realize, right, I was expecting that, and I imagine that Peter was probably expecting the riot act. Peter, I know exactly what you did. You know how, you remember how I said that you were going to say, and then you did it? Can you imagine Jesus in that moment? Hey, like, I told you so, doesn't even begin to cut it. Just reading in the, but instead he just goes, hey, you know how I felt? I felt like you didn't love me. So I got a, I got a real question, do you love me? So he asked him the second time, do you love me? And then the third time, he says, Peter. She doesn't say Peter. You know what he says? He says, Simon. He says, I'm going to call you by the name, your fisherman name. I'm not even going to call you by your relationship with me name. I'm going to call you by your fisherman name. That's what you want to do? You want to go fish? Then, okay, Simon. Do you love me? And at this point, Peter just like breaks down. I was going to make you guys learn some Greek today, but I decided not to just says that Peter was deeply hurt by Jesus' question. He felt really bad. In Greek, whatever, it took me a long time to find the word because it's in a weird form, but whatever. Sitting there with a dictionary. You guys don't know my life. But anyway, um, it says that he was deeply grieved. He was sent into an intense state of mourning. Because Jesus had to ask a third time. It doesn't say, see, I think that sometimes when, when we translate into English, we, we, we can miss this. What it doesn't say is that he was annoyed or defensive or defiant that Jesus had to ask a third time. It doesn't say that he was mad at Jesus for not listening to him the first two times. It doesn't say that he was like, well, what would you have done, Jesus? It says that he was and this is the exact translation, so sorry as to lead to repentance. 
He knew in that moment that he had no one to blame for himself. And that's why the second takeaway this morning, I don't have a slide for it, do I? No, I don't. The second takeaway this morning, it's not, oh yeah, I do, it's the last one. It's not falling short that's the problem, it's what you do afterwards. See, Peter gives us a model for biblical repentance that, that leads him into a new relationship with Jesus. See, it's not about Peter falling short. It's about what Peter does to renew the relationship. And Peter goes from this place and becomes a completely different person. See, that same Peter who gets out and walks on the water, that, that's the Peter that he becomes 100% of the time after this interaction. It's not about falling short. Everybody falls short. It's about what you do with it. It's a model for biblical repentance. It's not saying, God, I cannot believe that you put me into this hard situation. It's saying, God, when I was in this hard situation, I cannot believe that I didn't persevere. Even though we all know that we do it. And so, I want to ask you this morning, is this something that you struggle with? Because this is something that I struggle with. See, if I was Peter in that moment, I probably would have looked at Jesus and I'd have been like, hey Jesus, let me just be, this is my logical brain, all right? Turn it on, analytical side. I would have looked at Jesus and I said, hey, you were being led to a cross. And I told you you shouldn't do that, but you did it anyway. But meanwhile, we had this whole thing that we've been doing for three years and now you want me to go down like you? What happens to our message if I die, Jesus? What good is it for me to die? I think we asked this question about Stephen later in Acts. We're like, man, Stephen, like, keep your mouth shut. Like, why you didn't get, God, did you get yourself killed? You were doing good work. Peter's like, hey, I'm just trying not to get killed, Jesus. That would have been me. I'd have been like, I had all these justifications for like, hey, I'm, I'm, if I was dead, what good would that have done anybody? I have so much great ministry to do. We know that that's, Peter's story, he, he goes on, he has decades and decades of good ministry. But I got to ask, I wonder if the reason that Peter is not like that is because he was looking at a dead man. Because Peter, the, the, I think that this is our problem sometimes. When we truly believe that we could be raised to life, our like protests, they're pretty empty. If we truly believe, right? Like Peter's looking at a dead man going, what would have, have, have gained you for me to die? Dead man who probably could have brought me back to life at the same time that you brought yourself back to life to do the ministry that I would have been doing, right? He has no sense. And it's not the end of the story. See, that's your third takeaway. If you're a person who has done things in your life and you've fallen short of what God had for you, welcome to the club. I think I fell short 14 times this morning before I got here. If you're a person who's not done everything that you need to do, if you're a person who at times has looked to save your own skin unless instead of going with what God would have you do, if you're a person who just sometimes doesn't have all of your stuff together, welcome to the club of biblical people. Peter continues to make mistakes. All throughout Acts, we hear this time, and in Galatians, we hear of this time, Paul and Peter, they get into it, and we're led to believe that Paul was the one who was right. Peter doesn't stop being 
strong-headed and strong-willed and making mistakes. But Peter profoundly looks at his life differently after that moment. And so I want to offer you this morning that your story's not over. It's not even close to being over. At this point in the biblical text, when Peter has achieved so much, he's literally gone up to the mountain with Jesus to see Jesus in all of his splendor. He's seen Jesus come back from the dead. He's seen all of these miraculous miracles. He's, he's, he's hauled in fish, 153 fish, Herm pointed out to me this morning. What the significance of that number is, nobody knows. But, you know, he hauled in 153 fish. He's been to the mountaintop with Jesus. And his story is not even 25% over in the biblical witness. Peter has three quarters of his story left. So Jesus offers Peter this. After Peter convinces Jesus, Jesus says, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Then feed my sheep, then feed my sheep, then feed my sheep, or feed my lambs, then tend my sheep, then feed my sheep. So as I tell you when you were young, Peter, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself. In in the literal text, it says you put your own belt on. And you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, when your life is coming to an end, you will stretch out your hands to dress yourself, to put on your belt, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to him to let him know the kind of death that he would have to glorify God. And then Jesus says, as he always seems to be saying, follow me. And I'll add anyway. So your story's not over yet. It's not all about dying to yourself. Sometimes it's about believing that you can be raised from the mess that you've made of the life and the blessings that you've been given. Sometimes it's saying, hey, it doesn't matter what I've ever done. It doesn't matter how far I've fallen. It doesn't matter if I literally denied that I even knew Jesus, which was the whole point in the first place. God can still use me, redeem me, remake me. I want to show you this picture because it's immediately what I thought of. And at the end, you will have a choice for somebody to put this belt on you and take you somewhere where you don't go, Peter. Because your whole life has been living for you, but someday it's not going to go well. You're going to follow me anyway. And Peter says, yes. And so I want to invite you, encourage you, whatever God calls you to, even if it seems messy and even if you've screwed it up the first time. In my case, I did get to drive my mom's car, which now I drive every day. It's my new car. But imagine my dad handing me the keys to a Lamborghini. That's what happens to Peter. He crashes his Ford Focus and he is given the keys to something way greater. But the keys come with a cost. It's a tough cost, but it's a worth it cost because when you say yes to whatever God has for you, God turns around and says yes back to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ways in which you've already been remaking us, that you've been redoing us. We thank you for the ways in which Peter has demonstrated to us how he died to himself when he stood out on those waves, when he 
got out and took that sword and tried to defend his Lord, when he stood up in, in the presence of all of the people in the temple and preached a sermon and saw 5,000 people come to know you as Lord, when he did all these things, when he was whipped, when he was, when he was beaten, when he was in prison, when he was hung on a cross himself and burned alive, we saw all the ways that Peter died to himself, Lord, but thank you for creating a narrative that's not only about death, but is about resurrection. It's about being raised to a new life, a life that is free of the fear of failure, a life that is free of the fear of not getting it right, a life that is free of the fear of trying to be perfect. Because Lord, Peter wasn't perfect but yet he was the rock in which your church was built. Lord, thank you for using crooked rocks to build a straight house so that we would know that you could use us to do something great.